0: All right, there we go. The word of God came to Jonah a second time. We're in a series on the book of Jonah. Open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3, which is where we will be today. And Jonah chapter 3 opens up with this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah again. And I don't know if some of you know how much you need that word in your life this morning. uh, That the word of God came to Jonah again. The word of God came to a man who was rebellious, uh, who had rebelled against God. The word of God came again to a man who turned in the other direction from the original word of God that came into his life. That the word of God comes again to those who have turned their backs on God, have denied God, have avoided the ways of God, have been disobedient, have turned from the Lord, haven't been seeking the ways of the Lord. The word of the Lord came again. Uh, So just like in Jonah chapter one, the word of God came to Jonah and Jonah chapter three, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah again. Now, um, I've told you before, there are two things I'm afraid of when it comes to God speaking into my life. Number one is that I will pray and I will seek the Lord and I will take time to be with God, to hear a word. And one fear I have when I take out time to hear from the Lord is that I will hear nothing and that nothing comes. But what I've learned in my life is the silence of the voice of God does not mean the absence of the presence of God. That just because God is not speaking a clear word that is manifesting itself in my ears or in my heart doesn't mean that the presence of God is not near. There are times where if we walk away from maybe even not just one prayer time, but a lengthy season of prayer, and all we walk away with is an awareness that the presence of God is with us, that can be enough for us, that can sustain us. So one of my fears is that God won't say anything. The other fear I have when it comes to the word of God coming into my life is that God will speak is that a word will come. Because I've read the Bible enough to know that when God speaks, sometimes it's to affirm and to encourage, but a lot of times it's to call us to go, and to go to places that may be a little uncomfortable for us. And that this word of the fear is that the word of God will come, calling me to go to places I'm not really sure I want to go. Opening doors or giving me peaks through a door God wants me to walk through, but the fear of the unknown, I don't know what's on the other side. I don't know what it's, what it's going to take from me. And here's Jonah, Jonah chapter 3. I think it's one of the blessings of hope that can come to some people today. The word of God came again to Jonah on the shore. All right, Now, it doesn't say on the shore because now you're left wondering, okay, what happened? Jonah chapter two, verse 10 ends with Jonah being spit out by uh, a fish, which there's some scenes when I get to heaven, I'm not really sure I want to see it because you know that one of my phobias in life is throw up. I don't want to see what this was like. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to smell it, you know, I just want to, uh, however it went down, that's fine. Just tell me uh, that Jonah just ended up on the shore somewhere. Now, chapter 3, verse 1 begins with the word of God coming to Jonah. We don't know, did days go by, did weeks, did months, did years? Or was Jonah, and how I want to think about it this morning, is that Jonah was spit up by a fish, and now he's sitting on the shore, caked in who knows what, right? Who knows what he smells like? What's his heart thinking? What is his mind thinking? What are his prayers like? He had been in the belly of a fish for three days because he was disobedient to the call of God in his life. He went in the opposite direction. He's on his ship with sailors. Sailors are lifting up Yahweh. They're making these vows to God. They throw Jonah overboard so they can save their lives. A fish swallows him, and now a fish spits him out, and he's sitting there on the shore because of his own sin and rebellion, caked in stuff that wasn't his Have you ever found yourself in a place in life where it's like you're sitting on the shore, either because of your own sin and rebellion or because of so much pain that other people have put on you? That sometimes you're caked in stuff that's not even yours. It's these people around you who are making decisions for evil and it's like things are exploding in their lives and it's just landing on you. Uh, You know, Casey gives me permission to lie to her about one thing in life. Uh, I have anytime she asks a question this one specific question I can lie to her And she knows i'm lying and it's okay Seven years ago. I went on this retreat. It was a christian church uh, pastor retreat, uh, I know Churches of Christ and Christian churches, we aren't that different. Most Christian churches are above the Mason-Dixie line. Uh, most, uh, they're, they're instrumental. Um, and I was invited to be a part of this small group. There are about 10 or 11 of us who went. And what you need to know is Christian churches have a lot more resources than Churches of Christ, all right? Church of Christ retreats, I mean, we're slumming on our retreats. Christian church retreats, they're like five-star retreats. We were blown away by the place that they were putting us up in and all the food we were eating. And one night, they took us to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. I didn't grow up eating steak. I was raised in a lower middle class family. Later on in life, maybe we were more middle class, but we didn't do steaks. We did barbecue and chicken strips and spaghetti. That was like my family. We didn't do steaks. And we went to this steakhouse, and we saw the prices, And me and my buddies are looking at each other like, dude, we're taking these receipts back to be reimbursed at our churches. We can't get steaks. So we ordered like chicken breasts and, you know, small salads. And then the guy who was leading this retreat said, no, we're going to go around this table and we're going to order again. There's a man who gave money to buy steaks. So we're going to go around again. Oh, it was delicious. So I took a picture of it and I sent it to my wife. And I didn't hear anything back. And then I called a couple of hours later. We were in between a couple of events, and I was like, "Casey, you'll never." I just had the greatest steak I've ever had in my life. They bring out this steak on a plate that's 500 degrees, and it's in sizzling butter. I'm like, I mean, this is one of the greatest. Uh, this, this is one of the greatest arguments for the existence of God, right here, Casey. I would take an atheist, and I well, I wouldn't pay for it, but I would take them and let someone else pay for it. And when they eat this, they will be declaring Jesus as Lord. It's great. So I was telling Casey how great this steak is, and then I hear Casey crying on the other end. And I was like, baby, I teared up too. It was so good. Uh, She's like, you want to know what my day has been like? You see, when I went on this retreat, uh, my oldest was two and a half. My youngest was barely two months old. And Casey said, I haven't taken a (laughs) shot. Casey, okay, so you're supposed to amen when I touch my left eyebrow, all right? <laughs> she said, I haven't taken a shower in 30 hours. I have spit up coming down the right side of my shirt. I have applesauce and other food my boys have thrown on me on the left side of my shirt. And I got a kid yelling for me to go change a diaper in the other room, and you're sending me pictures of steaks? She said, I love you, but I don't think we need to talk again tonight. I'm going to go to bed. And I think at that point, I was like, well, can I call you after we go bowling and watch a movie? You know? And I like, can't help but think what it was like with Jonah. Oh, by the way, she lets me lie. Whenever, she's, whenever either of us travel, if we ask, where did you eat tonight? If we answer Burger King, we don't ask any more questions, all right? I wonder what it was like for Jonah to be caked in stuff that wasn't his and also fully aware of his own sin and rebellion. And I can't help but think, okay, when Jonah's on the shore, this fish spits him out. What, what's he thinking? Like is his heart been turned? Is he does he want a word from God to be spoken in to his life again? Is he seeking a word? Is he ready to be obedient? Because I don't think he is. I mean, there's no point in the book of Jonah, all four chapters, that I look at this man and I think, I want my boys to grow up to be like him. I mean, yeah, he's obedient in chapter 3. We'll read it in a minute where he ends up going and and he speaks. So he does go to Nineveh. So I guess in a way he's obedient, but he doesn't care about how God responds. So his heart isn't in tune with the things of God, even though he knows God. His heart isn't in tune with the mission of God. Like there's not much in this man that I want my boys to be like. And I can't help when we find ourselves on the shore, much like Jonah, um, because of sin and rebellion, I wonder, even for us, much like Jonah, can there be some neglect? Okay, I've neglected a command, and now what's going to happen to my life? What's God going to speak into my life? Because maybe how we think is if we neglect a command, there's this hope that maybe it will just go away. Like God's gonna, not going to give me that kind of assignment again. Um, So here's where um, I believe in the sovereignty of God. So let's talk about it for a moment. I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I also believe that God loves us so much He gives human beings the freedom to make choices, to say yes and no, to go with the ways of God or not. I believe in the sovereignty of God, that there are times throughout Scripture where God is so set on doing something, there is no rebellion a human being can bring to him that's going to keep God from fulfilling his purposes. There are times in your life when God's going to ask things of you, and it doesn't matter how much you avoid him, that word's going to keep coming into your life. It doesn't matter how much you run away, it's going to keep coming. It doesn't matter how much you evade God, that word's going to keep coming into your life. It's going to keep knocking on the door of your heart because God has an assignment for you, something he wants you to do, a relationship he wants you to enter, something in your life he wants to change, and that word's going to keep coming and keep knocking, and in the sovereignty, his word's going to be fulfilled somehow, some way. Now, there are also times where I think God gives. He loves us so much. He gives us the freedom to make choices. And you have places throughout the Bible where even God says, look, you can choose today whether you want life or death. You can say yes or no. You can agree to the ways of God or you can't. And Jonah chapter 3 helps us live in this tension. Where after Jonah rebelled the first time, God could have found someone else. He could have found some other way. God could have done it by himself. In fact, there are a lot of times I wish God would just do solo missions. Like, God, go save people. Just don't call us to do things that pull us out of our comfort zone. Just go do your solo mission. Go do your thing. Yeah, God keeps inviting people. And God could have found someone else. But he was set on Jonah for this purpose, this task, this assignment. Just like God may be set on something that you need to do in your life for him. But what you also see at the end of chapter 3, and we'll read it in a moment, is that God changes his mind. God was, and what originally we read, is he set on destroying Nineveh. He ends up saving all these people. And these people come to the Lord. You may be thinking right now, Josh, I have no clue what an assignment from God means. Like, what does this look like in my life? Let me just toss out a couple of things to you. Some of you are asking this morning, what is God's will for my life? And I think that's a fine question to ask, but I think the first question you need to ask is what is God's will, period. Not just what is God's will for your life, but what is God's will? And God's will is that you fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. God's will is righteousness and faithfulness. And you have a steadfast devotion for the Lord. God's will is that fruit will bear itself in your life and manifest itself so that other people can see how great Jesus is. So the question you need to begin with isn't what is God's will for your life, but it's what is God's will. Now, once we wrestle with what God's will is... You need to commit yourself to seeking and searching and asking, God, what is it you want of me in life? I am so encouraged when some of you who are in your 60s and 70s come to my office or we go to lunch, and I could name some of you right now who I've talked to recently, and you were asking, what is, what is God want of you? I hope I'm 70 years old still asking, God, what's next in my life? What do you want of me? Uh, Where are you leading me? I want to follow with whatever energy I still have to serve the Lord. Where are you leading me? And and have other people pray for you this week to seek and to search and to ask and to look and to pay attention for what it is God is doing and what it is God wants you to do. Now, here's what I'm going to do just for a moment. I want to create some sympathy for Jonah because we're hard on this guy. I am. I, I, I mean, I just told you, like, I don't want my boys to grow up to be like him. But I want to create just a little sympathy. So we need to know a little bit about like Nineveh and where Jonah grew up. Jonah grew up in the northern part of the kingdom of Israel. The the very north. I mean, this is like the, the kingdom of David. Where back in the days they were the best of the best. They ruled everything around them. They won their battles. They were a thriving place. Now, since then, in between that and Jonah, there had been some rebellion. God had punished his people, so God would punish, and then Uh, People would cry out for repentance and God would restore and then people would rebel again and God would restore So God hadn't restored them to what they once were but there were some blessings that were coming to the people of Israel. All right, but Not too far from where they lived was assyria repeat after me assyria And assyria was a nation that was on the rise They'd been having a lot of babies. All right And they had been growing and they were becoming more and more populated and not just that. They had a hunger for land and power and blood and death and they loved war. It had become like a sport to them. When Assyrians would go in to fight someone, they didn't care to take away slaves. They wanted corpses. They didn't care to loot places. So they weren't going to go and take over a country and then take like all the, you know, the big TVs out of homes and take it so they can use them. They wanted to go in and just, they they wanted complete annihilation. They would go in and kill men, women, and children. Some people today compare the people in Assyria to like the Russian mafia or to other extremist groups today where you can find places, and this is hundreds of years before Jesus, where people wrote about the Assyrians, saying that it wasn't unusual for other countries to open up their mail and there would be fingers and ears that the Assyrians would cut off and send in the mail to other people to let them know that, hey, this is what's coming to you. They were this ruthless group. And and, so here's the question for you. Can you guess what the capital of Assyria was? Nineveh. I was really hoping nobody said Nashville, all right? It was Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. All right, sending a Hebrew on a solo mission to Nineveh in Assyria was a death sentence. This would be like a Jew back in World War II or before World War II wanting to go walk into Germany and have a sit-down coffee or something with Hitler. I mean, this would be like an American wanting to walk in the middle of ISIS today. So no wonder Jonah, like, ran the other way, right? I mean, no wonder Jonah bells he thought God was nuts or that God had assigned him to a suicide mission or this was too important a task for Jonah to to take on himself. So Jonah basically goes down something like this, where God looks at Jonah and God's like, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, "Uh, God, I really don't want to. Y'all ready for this? All right. And God's like, no, Jonah, um, I have an assignment for you and I'm calling you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, "Uh, I'm not going to go. Uh, My parents warned me years ago that there are three places that if they ever catch me in, I'll be grounded for the rest of my life, all right? Vegas, Hooters, and Nineveh, all right? I'm caught there, grounded for life. God's like, Jonah, I need you to understand I got a mission because there's been, been this progression throughout the history of human beings being on this planet that uh, what I intended for the people of Israel to be my people isn't something that's going to stay like that forever. There are people outside of Israel that I want to bring them into the story and I want them to know how good I am and I want them to be saved. So I'm asking you to go to Nineveh to speak a word to them about my salvation. And Jonah's like, I'm going in the other way. I don't want to be a part of this. And this is where God, again, tries to convince Jonah and maybe even throws in a hashtag of Jonah, by the way, uh, hashtag Nineveh's lives matter. You got it? And this is where Jonah's like, no, Hebrews' lives matter. Um, Israel' lives matter. Uh, Everybody on planet matters to you. And God's like, I know everybody matters and I want everybody to be saved and there's a plan in place to try to get there. But today, I need you to know there's a group of people who need to hear about my salvation. And today, Nineveh's lives matter more than you could ever imagine, and I need you to believe that, and I need you to go, and I need you to tell them that. And Jonah goes in the opposite direction. All right, here's where I think Jonah begins tearing at our own hearts because when we follow God, we don't get to avoid cultures we don't understand. If our hearts are set on following God, we don't get to walk around people who don't look like us or live like us or smell like us. And this isn't just Jonah and Nineveh. What do you think the followers of Jesus said when they see Jesus in John 4 who decided not to go on the road around Samaria, but to go right through Samaria? And they're like, Jesus, you're going the wrong way. We don't go that way. And Jesus is like, today I need you to understand how much Samaritans matter to the kingdom of God. And they're like, no, Samaritans' lives don't matter as much as some others. And Jesus is like, no, today there's a Samaritan woman who needs to know how much she matters, and that's where we're going. He teaches Paul and Peter this later on to help them understand how much Gentiles' lives matter and how much these other people who haven't known about God, how much they matter. And here in Jonah, it's, look, if you're going to be set on following God, you cannot avoid wherever I'm sending you. Today, I'm sending you to the Ninevites. Jonah chapter 3, verse 4, it goes like this. So Jonah set out and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So we kind of applaud Jonah in this moment, right? An act of obedience. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a 3 days walk across. Can you imagine that? This is 30 to 60 miles from one side to the other. This is a massive place. In chapter, uh, verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's walk. So let's just do some math, all right? If it's 60 days, maybe 20 miles is a day's walk. He goes a day's walk. So he's not in the... Middle of Nineveh, but he's also not on the outskirts about to scream a message of God either But he's gone a good ways into Nineveh a day's walk And then he cried out 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown And this is where we look for footnotes, right? Like is that the whole message? Is that it? Like, surely there's got to be more. Like, did he say anything else? 40 days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was the message. Now, the Spirit of God could take a sentence like that and could convict hearts to the core because God can do that. And maybe there was more that we aren't aware of. What we know is Jonah's message was 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, some of you are looking at me and you're like, in the church I grew up in, that's the sermon we heard every single week, right? It was hell and damnation. And here's God who's coming to ruin your life and to destroy you and to overthrow you. But in verse five, what you read, the people of Nineveh believed God and they proclaimed to fast and everyone great and small put on sackcloth. Isn't that mind blowing? These are people who aren't, really in tune with the ways of God at all. And Jonah brings this message. And now you've got all these people who were repenting before the Lord. And and not just that, look in verse 6, when the news reached the king of Nineveh. So it didn't begin with the king of Nineveh and then like move down to all the people. It began with the people who end up telling the king. And now the king of Nineveh says he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. All right, let me pause right there just for a moment. Does that sound a little weird to you? Um, We had an addition to our family around Christmas time. Casey and I have been married 14 years and we've never had a pet. But Casey and the boys have been begging me for a pet. So if you see this next picture, this is our dog, all right? Yeah, we made a. We talked about this for a while. We needed a dog that didn't shed, which this dog doesn't shed much. That doesn't bark a lot, which he doesn't bark a lot. And one, one commitment we made is we're not going to feed this dog human food. And then I would see Casey starting to drop stuff in the kitchen. And then I would see how our dog would follow my boys around whenever they're snacking on stuff, hoping they can get a little piece of like an oatmeal. You know, pie that falls on the ground or something. Uh, So we had to settle on a name for our dog, right? So when we got our dog, we settled down. We had three names, and we were trying to choose between the three. Josh Jr., um, that that was my pick, Uh, Zebo and Grizz, all right? So we are trying to honor and support the city that we live in, right? So we settled on Grizz. So you see a picture of Grizz right there. What do you think Grizz would do? If I went home today and I was like, you know what? Our family, we encounter God today in some amazing ways, and we've decided that the rest of today and even tomorrow, we're not going to eat and we're not going to drink in, in, anything. And not only us, we think that you should do this too. And, and Grizz would look at us like, yeah, but is Noah going to drop a graham cracker in a little while? you know. The, the, the king sends out this edict that is not just for human beings, it was for all of creation. It's like this king had encountered the word of God in a way where the king said every single inch of Nineveh is going to lay itself before the Lord crying out for the salvation of God. And animals were included in this. It it really blows my mind, all right? It's, It's almost humorous, but the king lays everything there. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they will cry mightily to God and shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hearts. Because who knows? God may relent and change his mind, and he may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. All these people start repenting. And then verse 10, what you have is one of the few places in the Old Testament, you've got a handful of these where God changes his mind. And it says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And you don't read it there, but I think you can, like, see it there where mercy fell. Compassion fell. God fell. But then you read chapter 4, verse 1, and what it says is, but this displeased Jonah. Jonah wanted to speak a message, and he wanted people to die. Jonah didn't want the response. Jonah wanted to preach a message of salvation, but then once the message of salvation was preached, Jonah began to see people responding to the message of salvation. And then I think Jonah is overwhelmed with what God saves. He brings together, and he wants them to grow into their salvation, and this wasn't something Jonah was willing to do. Um, I'm... I'm kind of blown away right now. I have to try to refrain from how much I use Facebook. Um, Because sometimes I I just wonder, I hear a lot of Christians who say phrases like, you hate the sin and you love the sinner. Yet I'm starting to wonder if we really believe that. Because what I see in a lot of places and what I hear is hate the sin and avoid the sinner at all costs. Or hate the sin and neglect the sinner. Or hate the sin and just don't pursue the sinner. I I saw um, the statement that there are two reasons that people don't go to church. Number one is that they don't know any Christians. Number two is that they do know Christians, but the ones they know, they don't want to follow. But there's this one word in here I need you to see, that in Jonah's message there in verse 4, it is a word that um, in most of your translations, it probably has uh, overthrown. That his message is uh, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, there's a word for overthrown in the Hebrew, and it's samad, and it's to destroy or overturn in the sense of complete obliteration, complete annihilation. But that's not the word God put in, in Jonah's mouth for the people of Nineveh. It was not the Hebrew word samad. It was the Hebrew word hafik, And this is a word that means turned around or converted or transformed, and there's a big difference between the two. That is it that God wants to overthrow them or to overturn them, to convert them? And sometimes I can't help but look at Christians throughout the world and wonder what we want to. Is it that we want those who don't know Jesus just to be overthrown because we're done with all the evil and madness? Or are we living in a way that we want it overturned? where hearts are repenting and people are giving their lives to the Lord because I can't help but read Jonah and ask myself, if God is so committed to the difficult task of reconciling the world to himself, why can I not be committed to the difficult task of reconciling just some people around me to the Lord? God's committed to reconciling the whole world, and what are we committed to reconciling? So, I found myself struggling this week when the man, one of the leaders of the protests up on the bridge last Sunday night, it came out a couple of days later that there were warrants out for his arrest, and he was arrested. And I... the the last few weeks, the last few months, I just find myself in this place. God, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to live. Teach me how to engage. What conversations do I need to enter into? Which ones do I need to stay away from? Help me to learn to love these situations, these issues, and all the people involved as you would want me to. And I'm not putting myself in front of you today as a man who has figured out how to navigate all these waters. I'm just, I'm pursuing it. I I want to do what God wants me to do. So when this man was arrested, There was this little piece of me that was like, dude, there are warrants out for his arrest. That's what should happen to people who have warrants for their arrest. They've done something wrong. And we have a system to try to correct some of that. But God wouldn't let me go to that place. And ever since that man was arrested and the news broke, I have found myself praying for this man. Because can we just agree today, if you have the leadership ability to take hundreds of people up on a bridge to shut it down, and I don't know if this man is a believer or not, but if God took hold of that heart with righteousness and integrity, how can God help that man lead people throughout our city to where black men are linking arms with cops and pursuing reconciliation and where people throughout different communities are linking arms in an effort to, lead, to go deeper into the heart of God? And why are we not praying for hearts to be overturned, converted, fully transformed, Jonah's decision to be used by God didn't mean his heart was willing to be aligned with God. It it wasn't. The thing that blows me away about Jonah that I just don't get is Jonah didn't love the people he was called to speak to. He never did. Occasionally, I'm in the presence of a missionary, and I hear them talk, and I'm like, you're doing great work, and I love your vision, but I don't hear any love for the people that you're serving. That whoever God calls us to speak to are people God is calling us to love. So when we moved to Memphis just over eight years ago, I found myself praying these prayers of God, help us to love this city the way you love this city. Help us to love Shelby County the way you love Shelby County. May my heart be broken by the things that break your heart. And these are prayers that begin to totally wreck my life. Because when God starts moving in that kind of stuff, it begins changing the way you see the world, the way you do life. When my family just over five years ago moved into Binghampton along with the Hinkles, it, it wasn't... To be an act of heroism. It wasn't that everybody needs to do this. We need passion and people following Jesus in every neighborhood, everywhere. But in a way, I think for our family, it was let's join in this, this adventure where if we're going to speak about reconciliation and diversity and friendship, we need to model and live it. We have this amazing opportunity at Sycamore View that we're in this neighborhood that has changed in numerous ways And when you hear Dr. King and other people who have made references to why is the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday mornings the most segregated hour of the week, we have a chance as a church to step up and to tell the world that, hey, you want to see what unity likes in the world? You need to look at us. Look at how we're trying to do it. You want to see what fearless living looks like, what it looks like for people to be fearless in the risk of so much evil? Look at us, because we're giving our lives to Jesus, and we're not afraid of anything. And we believe that the water, the bread, and the blood of Jesus can hold us together as a church through everything. And when that happens, God begins to give assignments to expand his kingdom. Amen? All right, so I heard this story of a person in Dallas where I grew up. It's a woman who teaches at a school for the significantly visually impaired. She teaches a lot of children who were born almost blind. And there was this uh, parent-teacher meeting not too long ago, and what they did is they asked an eye doctor to make glasses for the parents. Uh, So this eye doctor agreed to make glasses for the parents, and they were glasses so that when the parents put them on, they would see light. The way their kids saw life, the things they could see and the things they couldn't see. And when they walked in the room for that parent-teacher meeting, the parents weren't expecting this. They were given these glasses and they put them on. And when they did, tears started streaming. Because now they were able to see life through their children. Jonah was not willing to see Ninevites through the lens of God. Um, and there are times where we could even put people in this room right now, we could put us in the same theater we could be watching the same screen and it's like we're watching different movies so you got Jonah who's sitting on the shore i want you, i want you to say two words real quick okay because some of the, these two words don't show up in some of your bibles but in jonah chapter 3 verse 1 it's the word of the lord comes to jonah again and it's not just go to nineveh it's get up and go to nineveh it's the hebrew word qum quam and it's arise, rise. Get up. So before he says go, it's like, get up, stand up, dust yourself off. We got a mission. We got a life. And I look at people and I minister to people and I walk with people and I hear stories from people. And there's some of you today that the two words you need to hear in your life is it's time for you to get up. Because you were held down either by your own sin and rebellion uh, or because of things other people have done to you. And and you're sitting there on the shore, maybe caked in stuff that's not even yours. And you may be looking at me right now and you're like, Josh, you don't understand. You you weren't abused when you were a child. You you don't have a marriage in which your wife is cheating on you or she doesn't love you or she doesn't want to fulfill your emotional, uh, social, and physical needs. You don't know what it's like to, uh, to experience relational dysfunction the way I experience relational dysfunction, to go through doubts like I've gone through doubts, and I don't understand some of that. But what I do know is that anger does more to the host of anger than it does to the person you're angry at. I know that when anger takes over a heart because of things in your past, that it can lock you up on the inside, keeping you from the ways of God. I know that there are some of you who have been, you were dealing with so much pain, and it goes back years, and, and something God this person in my life this week to teach me some of this and something that we need to hear is some of you are punishing the people you love the most for pain that someone else put on you 20 30 years from now that you're punishing spouses and children for something they've never done you're punishing friends and neighbors and maybe church members for for pain that was thrown on you years ago and do you believe That Jesus' willingness to take on himself the pain of the world is greater than what people have done to you in your past. Someone taught me this past week that the blood of Jesus doesn't come with amnesia, but it would be really cool if it did, right? Where there's like that men in black thing that you just flash it and you can't remember things in your past, but it doesn't work that way. What I know is that when it comes to getting up, it means someone has fallen down. And this isn't true about all illnesses and stuff that hurts in your life, but usually when it comes to injuries, injuries happen in the moments of seconds, maybe minutes, but a car wreck, or you're, on a, you're playing sports and boom, a hamstring pops, or you sprain an ankle. And what happens in just a few seconds to cause great pain and damage to the body, if you want to engage in the process of recovery, it could take four, six, nine months, a year. It could, the process of recovery is painful, and your willingness to be restored, how God wants to restore store you may just it may just be hanging on your willingness to endure your pain to be restored. So we acknowledge there's so many things that press us down, but today God is saying, man, get up. And it's not just as individuals, as a church, sometimes it's easy for us to sit down. And I'm not just talking about our church, but a lot of churches, we sit around and we think, man, will we ever grow again? Uh, It seems like so many churches around us aren't growing. What's happening? Look at what's happened to us the past few years. It's like people have left and they've left because some of them, we haven't taken good care of them, or people have left because theological decisions we've made, or we've become more diverse, and people don't know how to hang around in that environment, and is anything going to happen? And I think God's looking at his people this day, saying, get up. And dust yourself off. And realize God doesn't ever point us backwards saying, don't you love whatever we call the glory days? God is a God who is pressing his people f- forward. Get up. There's an assignment of God that is coming. And he wants us to love wherever that assignment's leading us. Uh, can we invite the praise team to the stage? We're gonna, our praise team is going to sing a special song.